about y'all. Is anybody excited to be in the house of God today? Amen. Hey, can we put our hands together for everybody joining online? Thank you guys so much for joining us wherever you're watching from. Let us know. I want to jump in to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus gives us a command. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple. By this, everyone will know that you're a follower. By this, everyone will know that you aren't just faking it. Everyone will know you're, you're not just talking the talk, but you walk the walk, amen. Everyone will know that you're not pretending to be somebody you're not if you love one another, amen. If you will, stretch a hand towards heaven. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for moments like these where we get to be in your presence. And God, we just ask, man, that you would meet us right here where we are. Holy Spirit, come and do the work only you can do. God, I pray you go beyond my notes, beyond some cute phrases. God, I pray you would tailor make this message to every single person, whether they're here for the first time or the hundredth time, whether they're a believer or they're, they're not sure yet about where they stand with you. God, would you just meet them where they are? Would they hear a voice of grace and a voice of love, not one of condemnation today? God, we didn't come for behavior modification. We came for transformation. So God, would you do the work only you can do? We love you, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Come on, say hi to somebody next to you. Welcome to church today. Wherever you're watching from, make sure you throw that in the, in the chat. Well, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Cody Woodard. I'm the pastor here. We'd love to get the opportunity to meet you uh, afterwards. You can follow me online if you're watching online. But we are in the second installment of a series called Red Flags. Somebody say Red Flags. And last week, we opened this thing up, and we talked about how easy it can be to see the red flags in everybody else, but how difficult it can be to see the red flags in ourselves. And so today, we want to make sure that we start with a posture not of judgment, but of one of reflection, where we tend to look in the mirror and say, God, help me see the red flags in me. And I'm just going to tell you today, um, this sermon series is not just for married people. This is for married people. This is for single and looking to mingle people. Come on, somebody. This is single and secure. You ain't got no interest. This is for divorced people. This is for uh, parents. This is for grandparents. This is for teenagers. We're talking around this idea of red flags in relationships, all kinds of relationships. And so the question I asked last week is, well, what is a red flag? It's a term that went viral last year, 2023. And if you don't know what a red flag is, uh, you wanna write this in your notes so that you know, here's what it is. It is a signal of danger. It is a warning sign, a sign that there's a problem that needs to be addressed. It's when you see a red flag on the beach and it's telling you there is an undercurrent. There's something you can't see. And if you ignore it, it can cause danger in your life. It's a red flag on the racetrack when there's a wreck and everybody needs to stop because there is danger on the course. And so today, we talked about kind of us last week. Today, I wanna talk about the red flags in romance. The red flags in romance. This is gonna be for everybody, but I wanna go ahead and tell you, if you hear that and you're thinking, man, I'm good, I don't need to hear this, this is for my neighbor, this is for the person that's not here yet, 
those thoughts are red flags. Amen, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, this is for me. Come on, then touch them and say, this is for you. So let's have some fun. Let's kick it off. Get your red flags out. Wave them in the air like you just don't care. If you're online, make sure you put them in the chat as we talk a couple of red flag examples just to get our brain working. Um, these are some of my personal red flags. You may not agree. If you agree, wave it in the air. If you don't, then don't. That's totally cool with me. Let's start out with this because how many of you don't like lazy people? Anybody don't like lazy people? Okay, here we go. Uh, it's a red flag to me when they don't return the shopping cart at the grocery store. Come on, red flag, red flag. Red flag number two, if your in-laws can walk up in your house at any moment without notice. Come on, how many of that is a red flag? Some of you are tapping your in-law right now. We're gonna get a little weird here today, I'm not gonna lie. It's a red flag if they ask for feet pics. Anybody else? <laughs> if they wanna see them feet, you, you need to have a different conversation. Here we go, men, I'm gonna help you. It's a red flag when she always has a headache at night. Amen. Come on, some of y'all are real. Hey, hey. Some of y'all are like, I don't know, should I? Let me help you if you're dating. Um, here's a red flag. If you meet online and have never seen them in person or a live video and they start to ask you for money. Come on, is that a red I'm just trying to help somebody not get on the catfish show on MTV, that's all. Just trying to make sure you're, you're in love with the person you say you're in love with. Um, here we go. If they will get in bed with you but won't get to church with you. Oh, we about to get real today. It's getting a little personal down here on the front row. Number seven. Um, Sorry, man, I'm gonna throw you under the bus here a little bit. Ladies, you're probably gonna testify to this one. If they tend to cry or break things when 21-year-old college boys lose their football game, that is, a, that is a red, that's a red flag. How about this one? If they have a Benz, but their parents still pay their bills. Come on, anybody. Ooh, there's a lot of red flags right there. Be walking out, looking in the parking lot, see what they're driving. I got one, this is gonna take some of y'all back. If they are still wearing Fierce from Abercrombie and Fitch. Come on, y'all didn't raise the flag for that one. That smells good, don't it, don't lie. I, that's, hey, that was the 13, that's how you got a girl when you were 13 years old, wasn't it, fellas? Whew. Here we go. If they can never, somebody say never. If they can never be single and gotta be in a relationship. This is my personal red flag, it's number one. If they really think that Tupac is dead, it is a red flag for me. Anybody else, come on. That man is in Cuba still wrapping it up, no lie. And if they get their feelings hurt every time they get challenged or offended in church and decide to leave and go to a different church, that is a red, red flag. Okay, I just, I wanna have some fun today, but I do wanna just speak from this place of, listen, I'm not a relationship expert. Okay, and neither are you. Um, and I'm not gonna come at you today um, trying to condemn you or make you feel guilty, okay? I'm not trying to get you to fight in the car on the way home or you know, divorce your spouse or break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You may need to do that, but that's gonna come from God, not from me, okay? Um, and I also wanna speak and just give you a disclaimer. Today, what I'm talking about is we're not gonna sit here and talk about your past, but we are gonna address the present. And we're not gonna talk about the past because you can't do nothing about that. 
So today, listen, I want you to hear this through the lens of your present situation so you don't think God is condemning you for your past because your past is in your past unless it's still impacting your present. And so today, I just wanna make sure you hear me. Let's not get caught up in who we used to be because from this day forward, we can start becoming who God called us to be, amen? And so here's the deal. I wanna address this kind of idea of red flags in relationships Um, And I wanna talk about it because there's this cultural idea, this narrative that wants to tell you the Bible's irrelevant, that the Bible is old school, that it's outdated, that it's not applicable to my relationships in 2024. But I don't know about you, culture tends to change their opinion a lot. And I'm not gonna build my idea of relationships on what culture says. I'm gonna build my idea of relationships on what God says because culture may change, but our God remains the same forever, amen. And so I want us to have a biblical view because so many of you, you you want a godly relationship without God. You want the benefits of the relationship, but not the burden that may come with it. So, So I wanna talk from that place today because I think God knows best for you. I think God made you and therefore God knows you, and he knows you better than you know you. So instead of thinking, well, I know what's best for me. No, 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 Isaiah 55 says, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. I don't know about you, I I actually wanna go to the God who made us so that we can learn what it looks like for us to actually have healthy relationships, amen? And so we've kind of anchored in this theme verse in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, because here's what it says. It says that wise people, somebody say wise people, Wise people see danger and take precautions. But childish people, come on, say childish people. Keep going, they see the flag, they keep going, and then they pay the penalty. And I think that God, he wants to help all of us succeed in relationships. He he wants you to have a healthy marriage. He wants you to know what it means to be single and secure. He, He wants you to live in the freedom that he created you in. And God has given us warning signs really all throughout scripture that points us to that reality. But how many of you know, not to give credit where he doesn't need it, but the enemy is also trying to destroy that idea of God and destroy his idea of what relationships look like. The enemy is on full-on attack against healthy marriages. He's on full-on attack against a God-honoring relationship and marriage between one man and one woman for life. And the enemy's trying to convince some of you, listen, he's trying to convince some of you for the singles in the room that single is a sickness. That if you're single, something's wrong with you. That if you're single, it's second class. And so please hear me, the point of this series is not marriage. The goal is not marriage, the goal is maturity. And so some of you have never learned how to be secure in who God made you to be because the enemy's making you think that significance is found in a spouse. But significance is not found in a spouse. Significance is found in the one who made you. And all throughout scripture, you you see these examples that God gives of what to do and what not to do. He gives you story after story after story. And so all of us today, we're all coming in and we've all made mistakes. We all have different statuses, different histories, walking through different things right now. And so I just wanna give you a couple examples because I wrestled this week, y'all. Like, do do I just preach from like, 
one story in the Bible and maybe help you see a thread, but I didn't wanna do that because I felt like I had to pull it out of context. And so I just wanna, I wanna address maybe a couple situations in the room today and just give you some references. So I'm gonna mention this really quick. They're not gonna be on the screen, but um, I'm gonna give you some biblical examples. If you're looking for some help, you can go do some homework later. So if you are dealing with some baby mama drama, I want you to go and look and read about Jacob because Jacob had four baby mamas. If your marriage right now is on hard times, falling on hard times, you should go read about Job and his wife. I think they can, they can relate. Um, if you've dealt with abuse or sexual abuse, you, you should go read about Tamar because she can relate. If you've had so many sexual partners and your body count is higher than your age, somebody said, Don't judge. If that's you, you should go look at Solomon. That man had a lot of wives and a lot of prostitutes. Um, if you're battling with infertility, you should go read about Abraham and Sarah and how sometimes things can look like they'll never happen. But God is still in the business of doing miracles. If you're single and you got no interest in the mingle, you should take a look at Paul who knew what it meant to live a life of purpose as a single man. If you're the type of Christian that is saved, but you are attracted to some unsaved people, come on somebody, you should go read about Samson and him falling in love with Delilah. If relationships continue to be an idol in your life, you should take a look at Ahab and Jezebel. If you're struggling, man, this is me, to figure out how to parent and feel like you're a constant failure. Woo. You should go read about Mary who had to raise the son of God and get a little bit perspective. And if you're in here and you've never had a great example of love, you haven't had somebody who, who was patient with you. You didn't have somebody who served you. You didn't have somebody who fought for you. You didn't have somebody to protect you. You didn't have somebody who provided for you. You didn't have somebody who would never lie and never leave and never let you down. You didn't have somebody that when you failed, they didn't fail you. Or when you needed somebody to apologize, they wouldn't forgive you. If you didn't have that person, let me introduce you to the entire purpose of this book and his name is Jesus. I want us to get an idea of what it looks like to have these healthy relationships. And I wanna take a look at some red flags. And again, I want you to make sure you're filtering these through yourself. Because John says, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. Here's my question for 2024. Love one another, what does that even mean? I mean, what, what is love? And you think, well, that should be a simple answer. It's not anymore. I mean, it is, but it's not. Y'all follow me? Like, what does it mean to really love one another? Well, love is love. Well, is love love or is God love? So I think that the thing is, is we hear verses like this and we're like, yeah, I've heard that a billion times. Yeah, but, but in today's culture, we don't understand the difference between love and lust. We think that love is equated to feelings. It can be. But if you think that love is a feeling, you're being deceived. And so what I wanna talk about is, is what does love actually look like? Because I think, y'all, we live in this, this, this world today and so many of you think that we've never seen anything like it. But we think about how things are going culturally and politically 
and relationally. And we think, oh man, world's about to end. It could, but yo, this ain't the first time we've seen this. Like this is not unique. Go to the Old Testament and read about Babylon. Go read about Sodom and Gomorrah. This isn't new. Lust isn't new. The idea of doing what you want, that's not new. Trace it back all the way to Genesis when Adam and Eve did what they wanted. And so today what I wanna do is, we're gonna take a look at a super familiar passage. If you're married, you probably had this one read at your wedding. And I was reluctant all week wrestling with God. God, I don't wanna do that. I don't like preaching from familiar passages because people think they, they got it all together and they tune out. But if that's you, that's a red flag. I believe God's got a fresh word for you. Amen? And I wanna take a look at what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Because if you were to take the time and you were to go study the two letters that he writes to, for, to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you would see that the issues we're dealing with are not new. Like we are now thousands of years removed but reflective of the Corinthian church. If you don't believe me, go read it. And in it, you will find out that, man, people were having orgies after they were getting drunk at the communion table. They had multiple partners. They were having sex with animals. Let me pause. If you got kids up in here, today is your day. Renovation Kids is available for you. <laughs> Just want to throw it out there. I mean, the Corinthian church was wilding. I mean, they, was, they were doing whatever they wanted. They thought that love, like they, they thought they could do whatever they felt like doing with whoever they felt like doing it. Yo, there were guys having sex with their mother-in-laws. Don't tell me the Bible ain't relevant. If you say that, you ain't read this thing. So I wanna go and, and I, wanna, I wanna see what Paul writes because he's writing in response to a question of essentially like, yo, what is love? What's permissible? What's allowed? What can we do? What can't we do? And here's the crazy part about it. He wrote it to the church, to Christians. These weren't pagan, non-believing people. These weren't Buddhists, Muslims, atheists. They no, 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 no. These were people who said, I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet I'm hooking up with my mother-in-law. That is a red flag. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because I think what Paul gives here gives us the most accurate depiction of what love is. There's been movies written, songs written, plays written, but what he says here is the most active and practical example where you know if you're really loving someone or not. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, if you're ready for the word, shout, I'm ready. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. I wanna take a look at this passage. We're gonna go line by line verse by verse, and I wanna show you when Paul says this is what love is, let me show you how to identify some of the red flags in your romantic relationships. And so if you're married, this is gonna help you. Now let me say, I'm not permissioning you to get a divorce, I am encouraging you to have a conversation, amen? So if you see these red flags in your marriage, you're like, whoop, I'm out, no, 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 no. But if you're dating, 
Let me help you. You start seeing these red flags in the person you're dating, you, you need to scroll, select, and delete. Amen, somebody. That, some, that was the word of God for somebody today. You can have a nice one. Just We'll, go, we'll see you next week, right? But I, I want you to pay attention to how we know there are some red flags. He says that love is patient and love is kind. It's kind. Red flag number one, when words are weapons. Somebody say red flag. When words are weapons. Because you can't have a positive relationship with negative speech. You want to show me a relationship that won't make it? Let me spend about a day with you and see how you talk to each other. Some of us are expecting our relationships to have life, but we're speaking words of death. Some of you are talking to somebody right now, dating someone right now, and they have this way of making you feel this big. That's a red flag. Unfortunately for all of us, James tells us that it is nearly impossible for us to control our tongue. So let's just get honest and level the playing field. If you've used your word as a weapon, why don't you just go ahead and rave your own red flag right now? Come on. If you use your words as weapons, and if you ain't got your flag, you're a liar. So rave your red flag up anyway. We, we've, all, we've all used our words to like hurt other people. Gossip, speak down to, tone, look, facial expression. But Proverbs 13 says this, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, or you could say wives. But those who don't know how to control their mouth, what they say, their life comes to ruin. Because Proverbs 18 says that the tongue has the power of life and death in it, and those who eat it will enjoy its fruit. How you talk to each other? Are you using your words in your relationship, whatever it may be, but specifically in your romantic relationship, are you using your words to build them up or break them down? You know how you, when you get angry, how you talking? See, when I read 1 Corinthians 13, I tend to look at it as like a mirror. Are you kind with your words? Are you patient? Are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Slow to become angry, James 1 says. Because Ephesians 4 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You may tell you why? Because it says, so that those who are listening may benefit. Can I just tell you, parents? The way you talk to each other will get replicated in your children. The other day, my kid said a cuss word. I was like, where'd you learn that? And I was like, oh, me, hello. <laughs> he dropped something and he said the word that you say when you drop something and applied it in context. That's scary, he's five. But are, are we looking at our words in such a way, man, that they have the power. If they got the power to speak death, yo, they got the power to speak life. So what would happen in your relationships if you just said, I'm not going to talk like that anymore. I'm not gonna talk the way culture said. I'm not gonna speak that way. And here, here's, here's just a, a, a little bit of wisdom. How you speak is often determined by what you listen to. So before you change how you talk, you better watch who you're listening to because who you listen to will determine what you say next. And so how are you talking? Are you using your words to hurt? Or are you using your words to heal? Because when we use our words as weapons, it is a red flag. Number two, he says, don't envy 
How about this red flag? When comparison becomes common. You know what's a red flag in a relationship? When we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. When like you don't know how to be happy and you don't know how to enjoy what you have and you're not thankful for the gifts God has given you or the job he's provided or the spouse you're with. And now you find yourself comparing your spouse with their spouse. You, you start comparing your life with Instagram's life. Your reality with someone else's highlight reel. And you think that that's what it should look like. And you start comparing. And a lot of times it's, it doesn't start off too bad. Let me tell you how it, how it shows up, how it grows. Do you remember when what you loved about them was that they were so laid back? Anybody else, y'all know what I'm talking about? Early on in the relationship, you loved how chill they were, how they never raised their voice, how they were just even kill. Calm, cool, and collected. And you love that about them. But how many of you know what you celebrated in one season will often frustrate you in the next one? And so you used to love that about them in years one through three, but now years four through seven, you see they actually ain't laid back, they're lazy, hello. <laughs> and so then what do you do? You start comparing their work ethic to everybody else's work ethic. You used to love how good she looked. I mean, she was always looking fine. I mean, showed up to the gym with makeup on. Come on, somebody. You used to love it. Take care of herself. Oh, I love that. She's always got good clothes on, good shoes on, makeup. That's what attracted you to her at first. Then five years in, you see how much that crap cost. <laughs> and what you used to love is now what you learned to hate. Maybe they don't look like they used to. And you were deceived thinking everything was going to stay in place the way it was supposed to stay in place. Got some news for you. Gravity gets us all over time. And some of you are still in love with the image of them 10 years ago, but haven't learned how to love their body with who they are now. And so what do you do? You compare how they look with somebody else looks, and I'm here to tell you, comparison will kill your relationship. It'll kill it. So when comparison becomes common, you, you need to start waving the red flag like, yo, I may not be them, but you didn't marry them. I may not be your ex, but isn't that the reason they're your ex? So I just want, I want to warn you, man, comparison is, is challenging. Galatians 6 says, each one should test their own actions. This is verse four and five, it's not on the screen. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. How do we overcome comparison? With gratitude. If you battle with this red flag as I've battled with this red flag, you, you should start writing a list consistently about the things you're thankful for. And it's hard to compare when you learn how to be content. Comparison becomes common. That's the red flag. Number three, you're gonna have to help me preach. It's gonna get a little awkward, but I'm just here to tell you, um, it's a red flag if you're married. Say, if you're married, and sex is rare. That's a red flag. Men, where are you at? Amen, somebody. <laughs> ladies, where are you at? Amen, ladies. Why is it so quiet? You see how that works? No. When sex is rare, 
Now, I know you get all awkward and we get all weird talking about sex in church, but you do know God is the one who created sex, right? And if God designed sex, God gets to define sex. And a lot of us, we think that sex is a bad thing because that's how you were raised, but sex is a good thing. I appreciate you. Sex is a good thing. Thank you. I know you think it's a good thing. Let's go to kids ministry. Hello. A lot of times we don't, we don't want to talk about that. Cool. So we would rather the world disciple our children than the church? So God designed it, said it was good. He looked at Adam and Eve, put them in a garden naked, said be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean? Have sex and make kids. That was the purpose. What I really love about scripture though is you'll never find another historical document like it because in every other historical document in every other religion, sex was only meant for procreation. But God actually says it was meant for procreation, partnership, and pleasure. Because he could have made it and it didn't have to feel good, but he made it feel good. Amen, somebody. So he says, listen, sex is a good thing. I'm gonna give you some scripture because y'all don't believe me. First Corinthians chapter seven. He's addressing the church in Corinth who's abusing sex, having it with whoever they want. And he says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, <laughs> yeah, it's good to abstain from sexual relations. So these are single people asking, hey, is it, is it okay? Should we, yo, we're not married. Can we have sex? He's like, no, no, that's not God's way. By the way, you'll never get the intimacy that you want if you don't do it God's way. He says, but it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, let me bring some clarity. Each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Pay attention. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over to her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Unless, somebody say unless. Never applied this part. You both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited, say limited, for a limited time. So you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. <laughs> never, never fasted from that, I'm not gonna lie to you. At least I didn't choose that, okay. Um, sorry, babe, I know you're in this service. Afterward, what? What? Afterward, you should come together again so that, pay attention to this, that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What does that mean? Sex should not be rare in your marriage, it should be common. Why? You are your partner's only healthy sexual outlet. Now, I'm not saying if he goes and finds it somewhere else or she goes and finds it somewhere else, it's all your fault. But what I am here to tell you is that the thing that the enemy uses more than anything else in a marriage is sex. It's lust. And what Paul is saying, what God is saying to you is, hey, you just need to understand that when you withhold that intimate part of your relationship in your marriage, you are giving the enemy an open door to get in the bedroom. And so wives, let me just say this. His physical needs are just as important as your emotional needs. Men, pay attention. Her emotional needs are just as important as your physical needs. But it is a red flag if sex is rare. Now let me flip it because I know everybody ain't married. It is a red flag if you're single, you ain't married. It is a red flag if sex isn't rare. Amen, somebody. Why? Because God 
designed it, therefore he defines it, and he says it's to be had and enjoyed and done often in the context of a biblical marriage between one man, one woman, in covenant relationship for life. So I just need you to get that that's actually God's design. But here's why we get it twisted. Because we've been taught that marriage is nothing more than a piece of paper. Well, we feel married. Marriage is nothing more than a contract. Marriage is more than a contract. It's more than just living together. It's more than just having to share taxes and share bills and share bank accounts. If you think of marriage as a, as a contract, you'll build your marriage on mutual distrust, waiting for them to not hold up their end of the bargain. That's what a contract is, right? It's like, hey, I'll sign my name and you sign your name. And as long as you hold up your end of the deal and I hold up my end of the deal, we're good. But the moment you break that contract, I get to get out. That's not what God says a marriage is. He says it's not a contract, it's a covenant. So if contracts are built on mutual distrust, covenants are built on mutual submission. Where literally you go to the altar. You know what happens on altars? Things die. When you go to the altar, you're literally saying, I'm dying to me. I hear people all the time, well, I wanna have my own life. Too bad. You said, I'm dying to my preferences and my needs and I'm stepping into this covenant lifelong relationship where I serve the other person. That's what it, an idea of biblical marriage is. So don't be selfish on both sides, married or single. Married people, don't be selfish in the bedroom. Don't be selfish with anything because selfishness always steals. And you're never more like the enemy than when you're selfish. If you're single, hey, don't be selfish. It's not just about you and getting what you want. It's about learning how to love the other person as Christ loved you, amen? So let me just help you, three date nights if you're married, or three things on your date night if you're married. I've preached this before, I'll preach it the rest of my life. Every date night, you should write this down, I'm gonna help somebody today. Every date night should consist of three things. It should consist of face-to-face communication. Amen, somebody? Put down the phone. Don't talk about work and don't talk about the kids. Face-to-face communication. Side-by-side adventures. Okay, that doesn't mean you always gotta spend a lot of money. It just means you need to get out and do something and get creative with it, amen? So face-to-face communication, side-by-side adventures, and belly button-to-belly button time. Amen, somebody. All right, I'm gonna move on. Number four. Red flag number four, when fighting isn't fair. When fighting isn't fair. How many of you know you're gonna fight? Six people, Uh uh-oh. How many of you know you're gonna fight? Do you may tell you the quickest red flag I get when I meet with couples and I ask them, hey, tell me about your biggest fight. What y'all fight about? And they go, we've never fought. I'm like, Huh? (laughs) Why? Because you fight over things you care about. You fight because there's passion. You fight because there's a desire. But the purpose of a fight isn't to win it, it's to resolve it. 
And some of us are still frustrated with our partner because you spend every moment you have trying to prove your point rather than love the person. And so the point, the point of fighting is growth. Friction is a good thing. You can't grow strong muscles if you never pick up weights. You're not gonna grow a strong godly relationship if you never have any friction in it, if you never have any rub. You should have fights. You should do it in the right way. Learn how to fight fair. Let me give you some examples of not fighting fair. I preach on these all the time. Name calling, that's not fair. She's not gonna respond to an animal that you call her, I promise. So learn how to fight fair. Don't get historical. If you're gonna fight, fight about the present. Don't throw up eight months ago in the past because you were too uncomfortable to address it. Now you wanna throw it up and hit them with something. That ain't fair. Don't fight in front of your kids. Here's a mistake we made it early on in our marriage. And do not bring your daggum in-laws into the fight. Please. Or your best friend, because guess what? They're gonna have your side. And what you listen to, you start to believe. So yeah, I know mama's gonna have your bag. Woohoo! but guess what? Y'all get over it and mama's still mad. So the next time she sees him and he comes in the house, she's like, hmm. Learn how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. But you, you should learn how to fight because you fight for what matters most, amen? So I heard this story one time um, of this, this couple who had been fighting a lot. Now I am saying you shouldn't be fighting every day, okay? That's a red flag. But you should have healthy conflict. And this couple, I mean, they were fighting all the time. And the problem was, was that she was getting so irritated with him and he acted like he could care less. I mean, she kept being like, you never do this. You're, 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 never, you're never a man of your word. You forget to pay the bills. You don't act like you care about me. You don't take me on dates. Like you, you're not thoughtful. You don't get me gifts. You don't serve me. You don't clean the house. You don't do nothing. She's like, and if you don't get it together, we're done. So we're gonna go to counseling. And he finally agrees. Okay, we'll go. So they get into the counselor's room and they sit on the couch as you do with a wonderful therapist. And therapist goes, hey, well, what's, what's going on? Talk to me. And she just starts unloading. And the more and more she brings up, the more and more dirt she gives, you can just see him kind of sinking back in his seat. And the therapist kind of starts getting frustrated with the guy. Like, bro, say something. Fight for your wife. Fight for yourself. Like, dog, she's attacking you right now and you're not saying nothing. You act like you don't even care. And he's like, hey, hey, what do you think? He's like, I don't know. Well, you ain't got nothing to say? No. Bro, do you not see this as a problem? Do you not know what she needs? He goes, you mean tell you what she needs? And he's getting real mad. And he just looks at him, he's like, I don't, I don't care. Just apathetic. And so the counselor gets up, he goes, let me show you what your wife needs. And he goes over and he grabs the wife and he kisses her right in front of him. That's what your wife needs. She wants you to care about her, to show her some attention, to show up. The man just looks at the counselor. He said, cool. Can I bring her back tomorrow? <laughs> Come on, somebody say fight for your relationship. There should be healthy conflict in your relationships. That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Number five. Number five, I gotta keep them moving. This is gonna be a big one. Um, it says that 
We keep no record of wrongs. So here's number five. It's a red flag when debtors become collectors. Whew, I'm gonna preach this. Holy Ghost, help me. When debtors become collectors. Jesus um, has this conversation in Matthew 18. Peter comes up to him, verse 21. Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied. But 70 times seven, we usually stop there. So forgive, that's the point. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. Forgiveness is about losing count. But then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Why'd the master have pity? Because the man was like, hey, I know I owe you millions, but I'll pay you back. And the master's looking at him being, no, you won't. You can't pay me back. Whew. That's the spirit of religion some of you have. You think because you're in debt with God, millions and millions of sins in, that you gotta pay him back. Good news of the gospel. You can't pay him back. So he relieves you of that debt. I just want you to see it. I just want you to see it. So what does he do? After he'd been forgiven, you'd think, oh, he's gonna pay it forward, right? But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Bro, didn't you just get forgiven millions of dollars? You gonna, you gonna grab somebody by the throat for some chump change? Then the king called in the man who had been forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. From debtor to collector. Some of you are imprisoning your spouse for things they did years ago. Some of you just can't figure out how to forgive. And you think that they're paying the penalty, but notice what the master did. The one who owed thousands didn't have to pay the penalty. The one who chose not to forgive did. And notice the master didn't punish him. He sent him away to be punished. Why? Because he had been forgiven much and he chose not to forgive. Can I just tell you, when you choose to not forgive somebody, you pay the penalty. It hurts you. And sure, it hurts them, but it hurts you. So let's make sure we, we don't go from debtors who needed the grace of God to collectors and refused to extend it. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for the debts that were canceled against me. I'm thankful that God did not give up on me. I'm thankful that he forgave me for my sin. And if he gave me a lot of grace, even more should go out because I know how broken and messed up I am. And I need the grace of God all my life. Amen. Let me give you, let me give you um, 
Three more. We got to do eight. We got to do eight. Number six, sin is celebrated. It's a red flag. Why? Because it says that love, God, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Can I tell you, we live in a culture that celebrates sin. We live in a culture that's like, hey, it doesn't matter what you think. Everybody do you. Who are you to tell me how to live? I'm not telling you how to live. God is. But listen, it's a red flag if the person you're with is pulling you further away from Jesus instead of bringing you to him. Like if you're not growing spiritually and the person you're with is, is, is celebrating things that are not godly and instead of getting your butt in church and spending time with God and worshiping him and obeying what he, what he has to say, instead of following Jesus, your, your partner's telling you to follow your heart. That's a red flag. Yo, if, if you're dating somebody and he's cool with getting in bed with you but won't get to church with you, red flag. If she's cool with hooking up but she don't know how to pray, red flag. Like it's a red flag when, when sin is just act like, oh, it's not a big deal. Who are you to judge me? Love is love. Paul is what? No, God gets to define love. And he says, and I don't delight in evil, but I do celebrate the truth. Amen? Here's number seven, when trust is broken. Red flag number seven, when trust is broken. It says that love always protects and always trusts. Here's the thing, it's hard, right? Because trust gets broken a lot in relationships. With family, with friends, with people you're dating and romance, it gets, it gets broken a lot. And when trust is broken, the foundation is cracked. And it's hard to build a relationship on a broken foundation. So the truth is, y'all, is a lot of us, trust has been broken and let me just speak this to some of you really quick because I think there's this like cultural narrative that's such a lie. God gives us um, three biblical grounds for divorce, okay? Adultery, abuse, and abandonment. And so some of you have just heard it taught that unless they cheat on you, you gotta stick it out with them and if they're beating the crap out of you, it doesn't matter, that's a lie from hell. If someone who you love decides to leave you and never come back again, there ain't nothing you can do about it. Go read what Paul says next in 1 Corinthians 7. But what this doesn't mean is that just because you can get divorced, you have to. What this doesn't mean is just because there's something that got a little broken and there's some trust, they told a little white lie about something. What it doesn't mean is like you now have a passport. Oh, I'm out. Can I tell you, if you're looking for a way out and I just gave you those three and you're like, well, what about, uh, what about this? If you're asking that question, that's a red flag because there's something in you that don't wanna be there. And so when trust is broken, let me, let me help you. If you're the one who broke the trust, you don't get to set the timeline for healing. It takes time. But if you've been the one who's been hurt and you've been the one whose trust has been broken with, hear me it's still your responsibility to give forgiveness. That doesn't mean they get the same level of access. You know, you can forgive somebody without living with them, amen? But it's on you to not let a, a bitter root grow up and, and cause trouble in your life. I'm just telling you, if trust is broken, if they're hiding their phone, if you don't know none of their passwords, if you're married, yo, you, you should, if they change your password on the phone, that's a, that's, ooh, that's a red flag. But I just want you to remember and we've all done things that break trust. So you have the option today to choose to forgive the way God forgave you, amen? Here's number eight and I'm done. 
Red flag number eight, when expectations aren't realistic. When expectations aren't realistic. Let me give you some words I hear people say all the time, culturally. They're my rock. They're my number one. Red flag. You better hope they're not your rock. Because the truth is, is they're sinking sand if you're gonna build your life on them. Oh, they're my number one. Listen, if your spouse is your number one, that's a red flag. If they forsake all of our relationships to only spend time with you and you alone, red flag. Wait a second, I thought my spouse was supposed to be number one. Uh-uh, a healthy marriage doesn't have two people, it has three. You, your spouse, and God. And you don't get a healthy relationship and a godly relationship without God. And I know a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian and they're a Christian, therefore we have a Christian marriage. No, 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 listen, you can be a Christian and not have God as priority. And so it's gonna take work for you to actually put this into practice and make God the, the priority in your relationship. Because here's what happens. When you make God the priority, God can bless the rest. Like when you decide, you're not my number one anymore. God's my number one. I love my wife. She knows. Y'all know, I talk about it all the time. I'm the weird pastor like, oh, he talks about how hot his wife is. Yes, yeah, so what? Got three kids to prove I think that. Amen, somebody. I love her. She ain't my number one. God is. She's my number two. And then guess what? My number three, it ain't you. It's my kids. Then it's my calling. So I think we need to learn when Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the reality and the condition of most relationships. You've placed a godlike expectation on a human being. Stop putting godlike expectations on humans. They aren't God, they can't sustain you. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet, I'm closing. And, and then the scripture ends with this, um, love never fails. Love never fails. Um, 1 John says, this is how God showed his love among us. Pay attention right here, come here. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's the good news today. All of us have messed up. All of us have broken trust. All of us have some red flags. All of us have talked down to people. All of us have committed everything I said not to commit. And the good news of the gospel is thank God that love isn't based on your performance for him, but God's love for you. Thank God that though I failed and though I'm broken, God still came to save me and he came to save you. So you may get that list. You may be like, there's no way I can do that. Yeah. Right, that's the goal. But the reality is, you're not gonna do that perfect. You're not gonna be patient and kind and not compare and not boast and not be selfish and always forgive perfectly. You're not gonna do it, not perfectly. But the good news is that you have a God who did. So God is patient with you. God is kind with you. God's not comparing you with somebody else's walk. He loves you. God doesn't delight in evil. He doesn't approve of your sin, but he still loves you. 
And God always protects. He always hopes. He always perseveres. God never fails. And you may have failed him, but he brought you to church today to let you know I'm not gonna fail you. So every head bowed, eye closed, if you will, um, create a moment with you and God right now. And some of you today, you have red flags and you need to just get honest before God. It's the first step to healing. If today, one of those eight red flags resonated with you and you said, man, that's me. Every head bowed, eye closed. Would you just lift up your hand and say, man, I, I'm, I'm guilty of some of those? Yeah, come on, lift your hand up high. Every, every, I mean, there's hands going up everywhere. Father, I thank you for the hands lifted and just are getting honest about their own stuff. Would you just meet them there? Would you let them know you don't love them any less? Your love's unconditional. It never fails them. So even though they failed you, God, thank you for being faithful to forgive them. Thank you that our relationship is not based on our perfection and performance and love for you, but on your performance, perfection, and love for us. Pray for healing today in Jesus' name. Put your hands down. And if today you'd like to accept Jesus because you've tried to find your significance in somebody else, I wanna give you the opportunity now to say yes to him and to receive his grace and receive his love. Maybe that's why you can't forgive anybody else because you don't know the blessing of what it means to be forgiven of a great debt. And so today you wanna ask for that forgiveness for your sin. If that's you, every head bowed, eye closed, I want you to pray this with me out loud in church. If you'll pray this out loud for the benefit of those who are saying today for the first time or coming back to God, say today, I need your grace. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you for loving me when I failed to love you. Thanks for dying for me and raising from the grave so that I could be forgiven from my sin. Today, I surrender. This is my new beginning. If that was your prayer today on the count of three, just shoot your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, he saves you and forgives you. Three, just shoot your hand up and say, today I prayed that. I'm coming back to God. I prayed that for the first time. Come on, shoot him up high. I'm not gonna call you out. Amen, amen. Yeah, amen. I see you. Father, I thank you for those hands lifted. I thank you for what you're doing in this church and through this church. God, may we honor you with our romantic relationships. And it's in Christ's name, everybody said. Come on, y'all, let's celebrate those who made that decision today.